What's up, everybody? My name is Jacob Deaton, and you are back for another episode of Southern Wedding Professionals. Or maybe it's your first time, and it's your if it's your first time, thank you for being here, and we love having you. So go ahead and click the like button, and consider becoming a subscriber if you're on YouTube, um, and you know just be a part of the family and get to know all the wonderful people that I've had a chance to sit down with to interview. And one of those people today. Courtney Guthrie of Peachy King Lady Weddings and Events and Florals and Planning and all kinds of stuff. Um, she's here to tell us all about her business and how she got into this crazy world of serving people in the wedding industry and beyond. Um, and I am so excited to introduce her to you. So why wait? Let's just get right to it. Uh, the Peachy Keenest of Ladies. <laughs> How are you? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Just hanging in there. Still yeah. doing weddings. Oh, yeah. Pandemic. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I say that all the time. I'm like, you know, I'm living that pandemic dream, you know, that, that living in COVID paradise, you know? Yeah, totally. Totally COVID paradise. <laughs> <laughs> um, so for people who are not aware of what you do, um, I know personally, uh, from our conversations that you're based in uh, Marietta, Georgia, and the surrounding area of sorts. Um, tell us a little bit about uh, your business. Okay, so I do mainly like a one-stop shop for people as far as your wedding planning, your design, your overall vision, um, connecting you to vendors to help complete your wedding day. Um, a lot of brides will hire me and pretty much they only have like their venue. Um, they might have their venue and their photographer, but a lot of times um, that's it. And they might be, you know, kind of thinking about a few different caterers or different venue options. And a lot of times they really have no idea or they have a lot of ideas and those ideas sometimes don't work well with the venue that they have picked out for themselves. So that's where I kind of come in. Um, I kind of call myself just like a partial planner um, because I don't like to sell myself as a full service planner. Um, I've done that a few times and it's um, very stressful and it's a lot of work. Um, so I am a partial planner, but most people describe me as like someone that comes in and like saves the day because I do more than that. I hold people's hands um, through the process, you know, as much as I can. Um, but, you know, I'm kind of like known for being like a straight shooter. Like I don't sugarcoat things. I give people honest advice. I don't rake them across the coals. Um, I'm on their side, if you will, um, but also promoting myself as a business owner and also supporting other business owners within my own industry um, as we team together to put together really good weddings. Right. I mean, that you said so much in that one little statement. Uh, it is uh, really important to, uh, to make sure that your network of people that you use um, and that you recommend are the ones that are going to support you in the best way on the day of. But it's, I think it was really awesome that you said that you consider yourself a partial planner and not a uh, full service, uh, quote unquote, wedding planner. Tell me a little bit about how you came to the realization that you fit best in sort of like the partial planning up to maybe day of, I would assume, um, uh, you know, side of things and not the full service. What kind of geared you to get into uh, uh, your, your mind to know that you were kind of best for that role? Yeah, I mean, I think you kind of, when you get into it, you have to find out what you're really good at and what you're really excited about, but also being good at that um, without trying to oversell yourself or overpromise yourself. And I felt like in the beginning, I kind of didn't know what I was. So I did offer myself as a full service planner to people. And I found out that I didn't really enjoy a lot of that stuff. Like I honestly don't care about dress fittings and things like that. Like I can tell someone where to go, but when you're a full service planner, you're literally holding their hand through so many 
of these things that quite frankly, I just don't really, I mean, I'm excited for them that they care about those things when we talk about it, when they come to me as a partial planner. But I kind of find that my strong point is you make the major decisions and I help kind of guide you through it. But I kind of let them feel like that they're steering the ship. You know, I'm just helping make sure they don't steer it in a really bad direction. And I'm really good at like taking all of the things that you've planned and putting it together for you and making it make sense. Whereas before you did make a lot of good decisions along the way, but maybe you didn't make them in the right order. And maybe you missed like five other details that you completely overlooked. So that's where I feel like I'm good as like a partial planner and not like a full service planner. So like, I think sometimes I just move straight ahead as if everybody that's listening to this podcast and YouTube series and et cetera, knows everything there is to know about a full service planner or a partial service planner. But like, maybe um, if you could, because you've done both of these things, maybe it would be really good for like two seconds just to explain to the average person that's maybe listening here and considering hiring a wedding planner um, for their special day, um, you know, sort of what roles differentiate between like a partial planner and a, uh, a full service planner. And you can give broad strokes. You don't have to be super granular, but like you just mentioned one, like going to a bridal fitting, that's something that a full service planner would do, right? Oh yeah. Like a full service planner, think about it as someone that literally holds your hand through everything. Like they help you find the, the venue. Like if you're a full service planner, you're pretty much the first vendor that they're going to hire and they're going to give you like their whole budget. So if their budget is like $60,000, you know, then it's up to you as their full service planner to take that whole budget. Cause some people, that's why they hire you for this. They don't want to deal with any of that. So it's on you to take all the money and find everything for them from the venue to the dress, to the shoes, the accessories, the invitations, the caterer, the floral, the decor, the DJ or the band, the photographer, the videographer, the favors, like literally every single thing. So if you are a full service planner, you're pretty much planning their entire wedding. Maybe they don't even have a date when they hire you. That's part of why they hired you too, because they don't know when they should get married. So, you know, I found in doing that a handful of times that I just didn't want to do that. There was a lot of these things that um, they needed help with that I just, you know, I, I wanted them to do that stuff for themselves and then to, to come to me. And that's kind of what I've been, you know, I've become known for is a really good partial planner, a really good day of like you get your, and people call me all the time or inquire all the time, you know, asking for full service planning, or can you do more than this? And I pretty much tell them, no, I'm just like, no, you go get your venue. I'll, I'll give you some free advice and, and tell you of some great venue choices. And I'll even give you some free advice for other vendors that you should contact and not just me, because you should be comparing me to other people. I might not be the perfect person for you at the end of the day. So, you know, I do give people a lot of advice right out of the gate, but I found that, you know, for partial planning, it's more like you step in most times when they've already hired their major vendors, as in their venue and possibly their photographer and their caterer. And from there, you know, I kind of pick up the reins. So I'm really good at maybe helping you narrow down your caterer or your band or your DJ getting your cake, your hair and makeup. So that's kind of where I'm, you know, I, I kind of get put in. And then at our planning appointments, I just give them advice. That's the best part about being a partial planner. I'm just giving you advice. So like if the ball gets dropped on these major decisions, it's not my head on the chopping block because I'm not your full service planner. Like if you're the full service planner and they don't like everything that you put together for them, like it's bad. That's a lot of pressure to put on yourself. Sure. And I mean, so for a partial planner like yourself, uh, everybody sort of has a different um, calibration as it pertains to like when it starts. Um, 
for partial planning and stuff and I'm not day of, cause we obviously know day of is not day of. It's like, you're actually doing maybe a few weeks before or maybe up to a month before, depending on who you are. But um, as your business, as partial planning goes, uh, when do you typically start with a, a client? So that's kind of flexible for me because I have found in doing as many weddings as I've done throughout the years that I only like to do like a certain number of weddings a year. Um, I'm still, I feel like I do a lot more weddings than a, a lot of other planners that I know. Um, but I like to organize my weddings in such a way where I'm very type A personality. I like to do everything in Excel and have everything like super laid out and organized. So when I approach my clients, when it comes to even like day of partial planning, I tell people that we can start meeting as close as six months out, but sometimes I'm meeting people eight or nine months out because, for example, they may not live here. They may live in another state and they may only be coming to Georgia for certain months out of the year. And it may not go with what we had originally planned. Like if I say in my contract, I will only meet with you six months out, but she lives in Nevada and she can only come certain times a year. I just have to be flexible. So, you know, that's kind of really flexible for me. And there's a lot of other day ofs that don't meet with people that far out like I do. But I do that because I like to meet with people um, four times before their wedding. That's just how I do it as a planner. Um, we basically meet three times together before we meet the fourth time at the venue. And I like to, I like to talk to people. I, I like to get to know my clients because um, I feel like when people hire me, they, they kind of hire me because they know I'm maybe a little different than other planners. So I like for them to get to know me and I like to get to know them. We usually become really close throughout the process. Um, so my meetings typically last like at least two hours. I spend a lot of time with people. I like to reassure them. So it's weird. I call myself a partial planner, but I feel like I'm, I'm not. But, um, you know, I like to make sure that everything's like super prepared. And I think I'm kind of known for that, with, at least with other vendors that I work with. Like when Peachy Keen shows up on day of, like we're really organized, like we have a team. We know what we're doing, like the back of our hand. It wasn't thrown together last minute. Like I can't even really wrap my head around. And I know a lot of other day ofs do this, but they don't meet with people until like two months out or maybe even three months out. I, that's too stressful for me. Like I, I need, I need more time. It's like, I'm in a relationship with you. I, I need to get to know you, you know, before the wedding. Yeah, I mean, self-awareness is everything, right? You have to have your process together so that you know when you show up day of and it's game day, um, it's time for, you know, it's time for you to turn it on and do what you do and make sure that everything runs as accordingly uh, as, as it should. Um, and as you promised, um, you know, and everybody has a slightly different process, which is why I kind of always like to ask that question because um, you always, I'm always surprised sometimes. Well, not always, but sometimes I'm really surprised like you, I mean, you're kind of doing, that's, I mean, the time frame in which you're, you're dealing with, you're kind of really teetering into full service time frame. I know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's pretty, that's pretty amazing that, um, that you feel that passionate about. Um, uh, but I also understand, you know, you need to know what you like and don't like. You don't like showing up to the, you know, the, the, you know, the bridal, uh, part of things where you're they're trying on dresses and you're like, oh, I like that one. You don't like doing that. So if you don't like doing that, then don't do it. Right. Right. I think I just like to spend a lot of time with my clients because I feel like, you know, not, it's not always the case. I feel like every once in a while, there's like a case where obviously we don't become BFFs throughout the process. But a lot of times we do, we become very close. I become very close to my clients and that I feel like has made me last as long as I've lasted my business, because I would say like 90% of my business is referrals from other clients, people who came to the wedding, people who were in the bridal party. 
like they saw how much of a, of a relationship I had with my clients that they were like, I knew when I got engaged that I was going to hire you. So a lot of my, my clients, it's, I've done her, four of her friends' weddings. I've done two of her sister's weddings. I've, you know, there's some connection there. It's like, what is that seven series of Kevin Bacon? I don't know, like how he's connected. I kind of feel like that a lot of times with these weddings. I'm like, okay, so whose wedding did I do here? You know, <laughs> so. That's really cool. And I mean, that's what I find so fascinating about this business is that it's so referral driven. Um, and it's, it's so word of mouth. It's so like, I experienced this, therefore you have to have this person um, or I have to have this person. Um, if oh, yeah. you're I just find it really fascinating because I talk to, um, I've talked to so many wedding planners. And when I get to that question about advertising and marketing, and I guess I'll go ahead and go there since we're basically already here, right? Um, you know, you know, I, what I usually get is ah, I play around on Instagram, you know, I make sure I post maybe once a day, whatever, you know, and it's great and it's good, but you know, most of my business just comes from me doing my business. Mm -hmm. That just like blows my mind in today's world where we're so, um, we're so inundated with all of this data all the time. Um, and you feel like you've got to put stuff out there to, to be relevant and be seen and be known. Um, but it, it, you know, so many people just get that referral business. Um, and it's really cool that, uh, that you have too. Oh yeah. And I, I feel like with social media and everything, like there's all this like pressure on you to like be perfect and to make like the perfect posts. But like, honestly, like I found that I don't need to spend a lot of money with advertising. I think the keys are like, do a really good job and get the referrals, like do a really good job, build relationships with your clients, do a great job. Also post online. Like I do think that's important, like post on Instagram, share it on Facebook, like do it, but don't obsess over it as in like, it has to be like the perfect pictures, like the perfect angle, like the perfect quote. Like I think that all that is just crap. So I think like people just wanna see that you're working so I find that that's critical for me and people always tell me they love that. So if I'm at a wedding, if I'm doing a wedding, I don't care if it's perfect pictures or whatever. I try to take pictures of everything that we do and I post it on Instagram mainly because I feel like it's weird. I feel like with the younger brides, they're more into Instagram than Facebook. So I make sure that I post on Instagram a lot. I do the stories a lot because I feel like they respond to that more, I find. Um, I don't really think that leads come from Instagram, but I think it's a very good like window into what you're doing right now. So it's very important to always post stuff, you know, when you're working so people know that you're working. And then where I really fall short is blogging. And I've been promising myself for years that I would like be this better blogger um, whatever that is. So I try, I really, I tried in the pandemic. Like I wrote more blogs in the pandemic than I've ever written. Um, you know, so that was good, but you know, I think that, you know, staying relevant with your posting pictures on your, on your Insta is like totally worth it. I think it is too. I think it's totally important. I think that's where, I think that's where the eyes of the industry really are. I think a lot of the the younger brides that are coming up, like you're saying, most of them are focused on Instagram. And that's kind of because they're at that age where they're, you know, maybe 20s and up, you know, um, and that's where a lot of that audience is. And, um, you know, there's a lot of other things that are out there now, like TikTok and all this kind of stuff. And, um, you know, it just seems like there's a new social media platform every day that we all have to figure out how to add, um, because it just seems like that's the, the pressure of, of life. It's just all these things continue to evolve. But right now it seems like Instagram is kind of the, the lead dog and, um, you know, and it's going to be for a while, I think, um, unless the platform just falls out of favor with people, which is, that's another thing too, is that like, you know, I, you know, I tell my people on my team that like, we can't fall in love with platforms. Platforms are not what we're trying to, it doesn't matter. We just know the attention is on the platform. 
And if the attention is on the platform, then we need to be posting there. And if it's not, then we don't. Um, and, uh, you know, but if it's, uh, but if attention is there and tomorrow it shifts to TikTok and, and TikTok becomes the new Instagram for weddings and events, doesn't matter, um, you know, how many Instagram followers you had anymore. You know what I mean? So um, it's really about just making sure that you're just being regular and consistent with all that. And I think that's really cool that you're able to survive. 90% of your stuff comes from direct referrals um, and uh, not paid advertising or anything. Do you do any paid advertising at all ever, if so? No, I used to pay, I think last year, and or not last year, but the year before in 2019 and 2018, I paid for Google ads and I was just doing that to see like if it did anything. And quite honestly, I don't think it really did anything. I mean, I think that I definitely got more inquiries for people like with Google searches, but you know, I find that a lot of times when people are searching me like on a big Google search, they're comparing me amongst other people and, and they're probably not going to hire me. I mean, maybe some of them will, but not usually. I'm always just more confident and more reliant on, on referrals. I mean, it's, I get referrals every week. I count on the referrals. And that's why if you're posting on Instagram and Facebook that you're still working and that you're still doing weddings, then those previous clients are like, oh my God, she's still doing weddings. You know, I got to send her, you got to contact her because she's going to be super busy. Um, so I just, the only thing that I do pay for is wedding wire because I feel like I have had my wedding wire account for forever and I've always just paid it and it's not that much money. Um, so I just, I just keep it. And when people review, review me, they're like, oh, we want to write you a, a review because that for sure totally keeps you in business. I feel like that also has kept me in business is all my reviews, but I really only send people to wedding wire and I tell them, you know, just write me a review there because I already have so many reviews and so many awards there. Um, and then if they want to review me elsewhere, then I tell them to review me on Google but I don't really have too many Google reviews because I really don't care about Google. You know, I feel like a lot of people don't even really go to Google. They're, they're going to go to wedding wire or they're going to go to their friends. They're going to remember that awesome band at my friend's wedding. And that's who they're going to hire. You know, that is really a lot of it is that the more you're visible and experienced, you feel safer in making that decision because you knew that was a really great experience or you were told that it was a really great experience from the people who were there. So can't agree with you more there. Um, you know, uh, the wedding wire thing is interesting to me because I have so many mixed reviews from different people that I speak with about the, um, uh, you know, how, uh, you know, is, is the people that are there, uh, you know, valid, you know, um, customers? Are they people that like are, are just shopping around or sending one message to 30 or 40 or 50 different vendors and, you know, trying to, you know, I don't know if they ever resolve that problem or not, but, um, but, you know, to make their vendors feel like they're special when they get a lead, you know, um, but like, it's, uh, it, it is interesting because the Knot and, and Wedding Wire, who are now co-owned, I guess, by the same people, um, they, you know, they do a, um, you know, they sort of have a really high SEO ranking from all of their years of doing it and also all the traffic that they're able to get. So, you know, by advertising with them, you're, de and, you know, you're definitely bumping yourself up the ladder of that, you know, that pre-established SEO. So, um, you know, I think it just depends on kind of how you view your branding and sort of how you view, um, you know, where do you think your clients are coming from? And also like, where you think your potential client may come from. And if they're window shopping, at least you get that first look, um, right. you know, so, you know, I think a lot of different opinions on, on that. Now, I feel like I just pay what $87 a month just to say I'm on wedding wire. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's it. Right. I really, the leads that come in, I mean, honestly, I don't, a lot of them I feel like are just people that aren't even going to hire me. They're just like, send me your pricing. And I'm like, it's on my website. <laughs> you know, I, I mean, I put it on my website for that reason. So that when people say that to me, I'm like, well, you obviously, you didn't read the website. It's on there. You know, a lot of people don't do that. They don't put their pricing on there because 
they want you to call them. You know, they, they want to give you a custom quote. And like, I get that, but I put like some rough dollar amounts on my website for that reason. So that hopefully people, you know, that want to spend less than that, don't even call me, you know? Right. right. Yeah. I mean, your time is worth X and whatever X is, is they get you. And that's the way the game works. Right. Um, uh, and, you know, I always tell people, I was like, if you're really pinching pennies on trying to put together a wedding, like really, really pinching pennies, like maybe you should just go see Elvis in Las Vegas. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean if, you're, if, if, if you're gonna, if you're really struggling on all ends of the spectrum and you just right. don't know how you're going to make it all work, go see Elvis. Elvis is cool. You know, yeah. I should write a blog about that. Like what you should do, like, don't waste my time. I'll give you some free advice right here in this blog. <laughs> when you do you can link to me because i'm also in this uh i mean you know and then you can have a nice big picture of elvis at the end of it you know what i mean it's like right. oh, you can go see elvis and like right. elvis is like direct phone number and address you know so that way everybody knows that it's uh it's available to them uh yeah. you know um pandemic regardless elvis is still there in the building marrying people that's right elvis listen you know, Elvis endures a lot for the people, you know, and uh, he is willing to endure a, uh, you know, a pandemic to, uh, to serve you if you need him. So shout out to Elvis. You're the, <laughs> um, I'm a huge fan and, um, but particularly of your, the fat Elvis era of like the seventies and the, the early eighties and such like oh, that. Yeah. That's like the best Elvis to me. Totally. It is. <laughs> the rhinestone Elvis. Where yeah, you... the rhinestone. Yes, with the glasses. Yeah, yeah, the big, the big glasses, and yeah. you know, uh, you know, sweating profusely from probably doing way too many drugs backstage before. He got up oh on. yeah, like I love Elvis. I will promote that all day. Like I was born in Memphis, so. Oh okay. One hundred percent. That's a good place to start. Let's pivot there. So, tell me about upbringing how you got into the business like where you just said you were born in memphis so that's really cool um my cousin lives in memphis and i if he's listening right now i'm sorry i haven't been to see you in like over a year and i swear i'm going to come see you soon but um tell us about how you how you came up through and and how you sort of morphed into this you know wedding planner florist extraordinaire oh yeah wow gosh it's a long story <laughs> no, i got all day so let's, let's okay <laughs> Well, I mean, I'm from Memphis, my whole family, you know, pretty much my mom and dad's side, they're all from there. Um, I still have lots of family in Memphis. Um, so I lived there until I was in kindergarten slash like right before the first grade. Um, and we actually moved to Louisville, Kentucky, um, or some people say Louisville. When I lived there, I swear to God, everyone called it Louisville. I, I'm not, yeah. yeah. Am I saying it wrong? <laughs> interject, I am originally from Southern Indiana um, and I'm only about 45 minutes away from Louisville, not Louisville or Louisville. Louisville. <laughs> yeah, so we, and we only lived there a very brief amount of time because my father uh, worked for UPS. So when I was a little girl and we lived in Memphis, my dad, drove a UPS truck. Um, he delivered packages. And at the time, like I have a brother and sister and we are each 13 months apart and I'm the youngest of three. So like my mom was insane. We're having three children back to back, but um, she was a teacher and my dad worked for UPS. And at the time, this was in the eighties, um, they offered my dad uh, an opportunity to, we'll pay for your college, we will um, train you, you'll work your way up through our company. And, you know, he did. So they paid for him to go to college and finish his college diploma. And he worked his way up through UPS, which is a great company. And they moved us from Memphis to Kentucky. And we lived there, like, I want to say, like, maybe two and a half years, barely. 
and my dad was traveling a lot for his job and then they moved us to Georgia um, to Alpharetta specifically and that was the year of the the blizzard like the big snowstorm I think it was 93 um, 93 or 94 whenever that was I'll never forget it because I was used to snow in Memphis and in Kentucky. And when we moved to Georgia, I was like, sweet, it snows here. And then it never did again. <laughs> so that was like moving to Georgia for us. And we moved to Alpharetta of all places. And when we moved there, there was like nothing there. It was farms. There, it was not what it is today. Today, it's suburbia, sprawling shopping centers. I mean, there was four-way stop signs and farms uh, where we lived. There wasn't these big, you know, the only thing that was big and massive in the area was this huge Kroger. And I'll never forget it because when our parents took us there, I was like, what is this like Disney World? Like it had like a Chinese restaurant inside and like I had never, we'd never seen anything like that before. So uh, when we moved to Alpharetta, everything was like fresh and new and developing. And, you know, we, we grew up there and I went to Chattahoochee High School and my uh, brother and sister did. And it was right around um, September 11th. My brother was living in New York and I was in college and my sister was in college. Her and I had actually graduated high school early. And uh, we kind of just like went our own separate ways, what you do when you're like 18 and 19, right? So like I went to App State, my sister went to Johnson and Wales and my brother was in New York. And so we were all kind of pursuing our own dreams, if you will. And my mother, who was a teacher for forever, was just kind of at home. And our whole life, she always was kind of known for throwing parties. Like I had the party mom. Like she always had big parties. Like I, I can remember being a little girl and being at parties and drinking, like picking up a glass and like taking a sip and it was like beer, champagne. <laughs> and I was little like, but I remember always being around parties. She was always cooking. She was always planning something. And uh, when I was away in college, she got this crazy idea to start doing weddings. And we have a huge family, uh, my father's side of the family specifically, he's like one of seven children. So um, my cousins started getting married and planning their weddings. And so they all looked to my mother help me do my wedding, help me cook my food, help me, you know, make this happen. So we started doing family weddings. Like it started as this family thing. I would come home for summer from school and I would help her. I wasn't a really good cook when I was a teenager. Quite frankly, I was horrible. Like you would never want to eat my food when I was like 18 and 19. It was really bad. But I was really good at making things like pretty decorations and sewing things. In fact, when I was in college, I made a lot of money sewing clothes and selling them. Um, just a random side thing that I did. But uh, my mother knew that and she knew that I was creative. So when we did these weddings, she would be like, Courtney, you do the flowers and the decorations and help me plan it. And your sister and your brother are going to help me cook all this food and, you know, all that stuff. So I got stuck with a lot of manual labor, make it look pretty. And then my brother and sister were like the chefs with my mom because she was a really good cook. Um, so we did family weddings. And then eventually, like one summer, my mom was like, let's buy a wedding venue. And I think I was like 19 or 20 at the time. And she made me come home and she uh, had this like fake diamond ring and she made me put it on my finger and I didn't know what we were doing, but she told me to get in the car and we drove to these wedding venues. And she was like, we're just gonna pretend like you're getting married and we're gonna go in there and we're just gonna ask them, you know, we're gonna spy and figure out like how these people run weddings. I was like, okay. Um, so we pretended like I was getting married and we went to like five different wedding venues in like Gwinnett and Atlanta or wherever. And we bought, my mom bought a wedding venue, like bought this old house in Buford. And my brother and I spent an entire summer 
renovating the house, like tearing down wallpaper. There was wallpaper in every room, it was ugly. And we put a uh, stone floor down, like tile, like all this crazy stuff. Like I learned how to cut with a wet saw. I mean, I turned into like a man one summer. Like I was laying sheetrock and like painting and doing all this crazy stuff. But we turned this house into a wedding venue and it's still there. It's called um, Simple Gatherings at Four Oaks Manor. It's off Hamilton Mill Road. It's just like an old farmhouse. Um, but I did that for like six years in total. Uh, right when we actually opened up the venue, um, my mother kept like falling when we would be working. Like she just kept falling and we didn't know what was wrong with her. And I think like it was like a year into it and uh, she finally was diagnosed with ALS. I don't know if you know uh, what Lou Gehrig's disease is, but she had Lou Gehrig's disease um, and she had like a progressive form of it. I mean, it's already a, like a God awful disease, but to have a rapid kind of a form of it. So um, we ended up trying to like sell the business um, at the time, like the economy wasn't doing good. So I basically um, graduated from college, got my paralegal certification so I could do contracts. And then I got my real estate license and I tried to sell their business and I, I couldn't because um, the economy was bad and she was sick and it was just, it didn't work out. So, but it didn't work out for good reason. Um, she passed away and then my father and I reopened it together. And so I did that with him for a few years. And the last year that I was there, I just kind of was like, you know, kind of over being at the same place all the time, seeing almost like the same wedding happen again and again and again. So I was like, I still want to do this. Like, I love doing this. I, I love decorating. I, I, I love being a part of parties. And I started Peachy Keen and I started it. My father was really upset about it. Um, you know, kind of like I'm like abandoning him, but I, you know, I kind of felt like I needed to. And I told, uh, I told my husband, I said, I'm just going to do this. And in four years time, if nothing comes from it, then I'll just quit and I'll do something else. And at the time I actually was working and the corporate, I had a corporate job. I worked uh, in marketing and I worked in human resources and in commercial real estate. So I definitely was like an office weenie, 40 hours out of the week uh, wearing, you know, office attire or whatever. And I was about to give up on weddings, I was literally about to take down my website and uh, randomly a girl called me from Oklahoma of all places. And she said to me, I'll never forget it. I was in my car and I had this like crappy old car that was like on its last leg, like living in Atlanta and just really wanting to do my business and was about to give up. And she called me and she said, I found you buried in a Google search. And do you still do weddings? And I was like, yes, I do weddings. And she was like, well, I see your pictures from this farmhouse um, and I'm getting married at the trolley barn. Have you ever heard of it? And I was like, yes, I've, I've heard of it. And um, I was like, I, I would love to help you. Like, I'll, I'll I just hire me. I would, I would love to help you do your wedding. And she was like, well, I want you to do my wedding. And she was like, have you sent out a contract for clients or anything yet and I was like I will type one up right now and like I did I went home and I typed up my first contract and estimate and I sent it to her and she hired me immediately and from that one wedding I swear to god has turned into peachy keen and I have her picture from her wedding day in my office above my desk and I still keep in touch with her. And this was a long time ago, um, 10 years ago, or, or almost 10 years ago. Yeah. Wow. That's a story. Yeah. So, I mean, what was, what was holding, I mean, when you let go of being a part of the family business, which I mean, I'm from a family, many of the people that listen to this podcast know I'm from a family of um, people that, uh, grew up in a grocery store. So mm -hmm. all my aunts and uncles worked for my grandfather and grandmother. 
And uh, my grandmother was the GM. My grandfather was like Mr. Maintenance Man and and overall store greeter to all children who came in, uh, who all knew him as Grandpa Peanut, even though he was all God's children was Grandpa's Peanut's children's. Um, so uh, and everybody else, you know, all my family members worked in this grocery store, and then all of us grandchildren, you know, would work there on the weekends or would work there in the summer, like a little bit and stuff like that, intermittently, some more than others. Um, but uh, when you stepping away, so I know what it's like for people in the family to step away from family businesses because they want to do their own thing, and sort of what how hard that is um, to do. Um, oh, yeah. and, uh, that, that had to be really tough. Oh yeah. I mean, it was, it was tough. Like, but it wasn't just like, I just want to go do my own thing. It was also the element of all the trauma of losing my mom and him losing his wife. Yeah. And I think it was just hard, honestly, for both of us. I think he liked having me there, but I'll just be honest. Like I'm a lot like my mom and I look a lot like her and people that knew her, I sound a lot like her. Like, so it was hard for him, you know, and it was hard for me to be there, you know, all the time, you know, in that house and, you know, the, but I kind of felt like, when I washed my hands of it, like I had given it my all, like I painted, I don't know if you've ever been there, but there's like this old smokehouse, like in the back of the property that's he uses, he used as a bar and it has these red doors on it. Well, I painted those doors red. I, I painted them red, like the week after my mom died. And it was like a tribute to her because and every house that we ever lived in that we grew up in, my mother always painted our door red. Like our front door was always red. I never knew why, it just, it always was red. So when she died, I went to Home Depot with my dad and I was like, I'm gonna paint something red. And I didn't know what I was gonna paint. I was like, I'm in here to buy a bucket of red paint. And he was like, what are you talking about? You are insane. And we're like in the paint aisle and I see a paint bucket and it said lipstick red. Well, my mother always wore red lipstick and she was just a Southern lady who could put on red lipstick without a mirror. You know, just one of, we all had a mom or grandma like that, right? She always had red lipstick on at a soccer game, at the grocery store, at, you know, didn't matter, always had red lips. So I bought that bucket of lipstick red paint and I went to the property and I went over to the smokehouse and I painted the doors red. And he was like, you're crazy for doing that. And I was like, trust me. I was like, you're gonna be famous for these red doors. And sure enough, he is. Everyone who gets married there gets their pictures in front of the red doors. And that was like my touch to that. And what's interesting with that is kind of in between before Peachy Keen took off and I was like in this corporate kind of a setting, I kind of branched away because I was, oddly enough, I was offered a job to work for McKesson Pharmaceuticals, which is completely insane. Like this corporate job in marketing, I, offer, I was offered this great corporate job, right? You're going to make all this money. We want you. You're really good at like scrubbing data and doing all this corporate crap. Um, so we're going to offer you this perfect corporate package, Courtney, you're starting your life and your family. And this other guy offered me $10, I swear to God, $10 an hour. And his name was Gotam. And he ran weddings at this um, country club in, near Alpharetta. And he was like, I can't pay you very much to start off. He was like, I'll pay you like 10 or 15 bucks an hour. He was like, but you might get to do weddings again. And the only reason why he even offered me that job was because of the story of me painting these doors red. Well, I was just like, I had this feeling in my stomach, like I should take this job, even though me and my husband and my child are going to be starving because I'm not <laughs> making any money. So my husband was like, you're out of your mind. So I took the job making no money. I get this job. And from getting that job, I met this other guy, his name was Shushil Patel. He's an Indian wedding designer. He does high-end, you know, famous people weddings in Atlanta. And 
he called uh, the country club one day when I was new and I was working. He was like, well, who are you? And I'm like, well, I'm new here and I'm here to sell weddings. And he was like, well, you need to come and meet with me if you're new there and you want to sell weddings. And so I went and had lunch with him one day and he was like, uh, you don't work there anymore. You work for me now. And so he stole me from Gotom and I got into wedding design and I worked for Shishil and did Indian weddings for two years. And then that's when Peachy Keen really took off. And uh, it kind of working for him was like, it's like a dream job. You know, people say like devil wears Prada, like a million girls would kill for this job. Like I had that job working for that guy. Like that was that job to me. And it was, you know, some of my best memories of working weddings and events. But I, I it's funny when I left Shashil, his response was like my father's. He was hurt and he was upset. And he said, you know, go have fun doing your uh, greenery and baby's breath weddings. Because I showed him pictures from like simple gatherings. And he was like, and that's what he said to me. And I was like, I will. I'll have fun doing my um, barn weddings with baby's breath and greenery. And, and, and look at me now. Look you at know, you look at me now. You're on my podcast. <laughs> I know. And I'm, st I'm still out, friends with him. <laughs> he, he still has some hurt feelings. Um, you know, I, I have always broken up, I guess, with these men in my life. But, you know, you got to move on bigger, better things. That's right. Men are just temporary. They're just stepping just temporary. I mean, come on. <laughs> uh, that's funny. Wow. What a story, man. Um, I, um, now that you bring up these doors, I have to see these doors and now I have to get your dad on this podcast so that we could hear dad's side of the story too. Oh God, no, please. <laughs> <laughs> he probably won't do it. I mean, like he is, well, first of all, he actually doesn't even own, I mean, he owns that venue, but he's like the silent owner. He actually um, two years ago, he sold it to a family. Like if you go and you Google simple gatherings at Four Oaks Manor, it's mm -hmm. a new family that owns it. My dad is still the owner. He's a silent owner. Right. Uh, but this family is like the acting owners. Like they actually run the wedding venue. Um, they run it as their own. It is their own. Uh, but it's still there. Simple gatherings at Four Oaks Manor. And if you ever go there, the stone paths in the back, dude, I built those when I was pregnant with my daughter. Ah. And, uh, yeah. And there's little signs that they're like directional arrows on the trees. I made those and I painted the doors red. I painted the back. It used to be, um, there's like a back porch, um, leading out to this like pond or whatever. And it was red. I painted that red. I don't know if it's red now, but it was and then all of the fireplaces, this is good insider info, they all have original uh, tile work on all the fireplaces. I actually did every single one of those fireplaces with my mother. So wow. her and I did all of that together. Mm -hmm. That's so cool. Yeah. That is so, so cool. I mean, I don't have quite the legacy of that with like my family in the grocery store because, you know, my grandparents have moved on from owning that grocery store for some time. And it's been like four different grocery stores since then. Right. And I think now actually being an IGA, which is what my grandparents owned in my small little hometown of Indiana. And um, the when I walk in there, I, I almost always walk in there at least once when I go visit home, uh, just to see what's changed or, you know, yeah. to remember running up and down aisle three or, you know, like just things like that. Um, but, uh, you know, it's, for me, it's like, it's, it's, it's not the same place anymore. hundred percent, you know, for the most part, because somebody else owns it and it looks different, right. you know, it's not, it's not the same. And, but, you know, I like to sort of like relive those memories of me and my cousins yeah. being terrorists up and down the up and down the aisles and, you know, stealing food off the shelves and eating that eating them and then it becoming unaccounted for and wondering where all right. this food went, because that's just what we did. We were hungry and we wanted Oreos. So we went and got Oreos, you know. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I went back like, I think, four or five years ago and I it was too much like I, I just couldn't do it like. It was still too much the same for me that I just, I couldn't even go inside the house. Like, and I, and my, or were you there actually doing a wedding? 
Uh, no, I went there. I forget why I was going there. I think I had like my daughter with me at the time. Um, I think I was going there to see my dad for something. Um, but the last time that, uh, the only thing that I know of that's actually there that is mine is there's an old piano like in the front room and that's mine. Um, and he, he actually came to a wedding that I was, I did in 2019 at, I don't know if you know the, the historic DeKalb courthouse, you know, oh, the yeah. old. Okay. Yeah. So I was doing a wedding there. I'm, I'm there like all the time. Mallory and I are like BFFs. Okay. So like she, she loves me. We, she refers me. I love her. We do weddings there. It's such a gorgeous venue. One of my favorite venues, but my dad actually came to help me or to see me work these weddings. Cause he'd heard about, Oh, Courtney's become this Atlanta famous wedding planner, whatever. And he, yeah, he came and he, you know, to see me work and, you know, was really kind of wowed by what we did. But he told me that he reminded me that he's like, your piano is still there at a uh, simple gatherings. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> can't really go and get it right now. You know? that's but so it's still there. Yeah. That's so, so cool. Mm -hmm. Um, my, I, I just, I've, if you, if you got a wedding that was there, would you do it? You know, it's interesting that you say that I've had probably like three people contact me for like flower quote requests for Four Oaks Manor. And unfortunately I've never pursued them. It's nothing personal against them. Like I'm just so used to doing weddings in Atlanta all the time. And it's not that I don't want to help them. I know that those leads probably came from Google or something like that. Um, I, like I said, it's just, I don't know. I know that like if I walked in that house and I smelled this one smell of the house, I'd probably just start crying or something. Like I, it's just weird. It would just, it would be weird. Cause like every, those leads that have come in and I've done those phone calls. Cause I, I don't ignore people. Like I'll call them back. I'll email them back and They'll be like on the phone, have you ever heard of Four Oaks Manor? Have you been? And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> I don't tell them why. I don't tell them anything. I'm just like, yeah, I'm familiar with it. You know. Right. I mean, it's a heck of a story. I mean, so much history, so many things. Like your footprint, your handprints and footprints are all over it. Yeah. Um, I mean, I could, I could imagine it being too much, you know. Um, uh, I could totally see that. I kind of like not having like a personal connection to the venues that I work at, you know, like I can just come in and I just, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not Randy's daughter. You know what I mean? I'm not Lisa's daughter, like running this venue. I am Courtney. I'm P I'm the peachy keen lady. You know, I come in, I do my job at the venues and do my own thing. And that, and that's also kind of why I left just because like no offense to my dad and like older generations, but like I always felt really like misunderstood and I never really felt like I kind of fit in at Simple Gatherings. Like I've always had piercings. I've always had tattoos. Like I've always been a little different. And, you know, those kind of brides that, you know, we all know certain kind of brides pick certain kind of venues. And so I just never really felt like I had a strong connection to my clients at Four Oaks Manor the way that I do now because I feel like people seek me out because they know they know me they've met me they've attended a wedding so they kind of know what they're getting into to if they're going to work with Courtney mm -hmm. you know that's cool so speaking of Courtney Let's get to know Courtney. I always like to do this at the very end of the, of the podcast. I always like to ask a few questions that illuminate, uh, you know, pieces of about who you are as a person. And they're all PG-13. So. Okay. <laughs> well, that's good. We're, we're not quite, uh, you know, we're, we're this, this podcast isn't quite uh, went off the rails just yet. We've had a few that's maybe taken it to the edge, but we're trying yeah. to be a family program here, people. Uh, <laughs> so that's, that's. That is my first priority. I want your kids to be able to listen to this too. Um, but um, let's start with music. Cause I've, as you can see, I have guitars on my walls behind me um, if you're watching the video, but if not, you can imagine that there are guitars on the wall behind me. 
Um, what kind do you are you a big music fan or do you do you have favorite bands or like well, who are you listening to or do you not listen to music at all? I listen to music all the time. Um, I like more like I guess rock and roll. I mean, I like the oldies. I mean, I'm always listening to like Rolling Stone and Led Zeppelin, Fleetwood Mac, you know. Um, I don't really listen to a lot of like the new kind of stuff that's around. I guess I, I'm just like an oldies kind of an old person, if you will. I just like the old stuff, you know, give me the oldies. I love the eighties. Like I will listen to eighties music all day long as well as the nineties, like can't get enough, you know, Nirvana. I mean, like who doesn't love Nirvana, you know? So I just don't, I guess like the only like modern kind of music that I do like would be like the killers and they're not even like recent, but they're really good. I've always loved them. Um, but who else? I mean, I love Lady Gaga. I mean, like who doesn't love Lady Gaga? I mean, seriously. Right. But you know, if I'm picking out music that I want to listen to, a lot of times it's like Led Zeppelin or Fleetwood Mac or Simon and Garfunkel or something like that. I mean, that's just what I listen to, like when I'm working or the cars, like I listen to the cars, like all the time. That's I like my favorite. Cars. Yeah. Oh man. You want to talk about a great guitar player there, man. That guy wrote some incredible guitar hooks. Like, oh yeah. yeah I that's love like it. my jam. Like when I'm doing flowers and stuff, like I, yeah, all day. Yeah. That's, that's awesome. Um, so, um, you live in the Marietta area. Um, I happen to love the Marietta area. Um, do you have any like uh, favorite like restaurants like around the the square area that you that you absolutely adore? You know, like I am like a workaholic, so unfortunately, like I never go out. Like really, even before the pandemic, like yeah. I'm a loser. Like I never, I'm serious. Like I never go out. So I kind of always stick to, I am really lame, like the same thing. So um, I know where to get really good Indian food and like Thai food in Smyrna, like near where I live. Um, but I, we don't really go eat out at the square. Like I hate like parking down. I love the square, but like parking, it's always like crowded like, I don't like going to places where it's, like, really crowded, um, but, you know, if you want some really good Indian food in Smyrna, you, yeah, you need to go to Mint Leaf. That place is the bomb. Really? Yeah. It looks like a hole in the wall, but, dude, it's good. That's yeah. great. I love Indian food, and I love Thai food, too, so uh, that's, that's awesome, but Indian food has a special place in my heart. Do that place, they have a line even in a pandemic for like picking up your orders. Right. Like that place, yeah, it's really good. Yeah, I, I like an Indian, I like Indian food that like will like when I ask them to, to bring on the spices that like I'm like it hurts. Like, yeah, I, I like that too. I want to be like sweating. Yeah, I want to know yeah. that there's like a purification process that's happening, you know, yeah, like clearing my body. Yeah, yeah. My soul. I want to know that you're in my body. Um, that's true. Uh, that's cool. Um, uh, what's something, uh, maybe a talent or something that you have beyond your amazing wedding and floral uh, planning skills? Like what, uh, do, you, do you do anything? What's like some hobbies that you do? Sports or like what do you do? Um, I mean, I like sew things. I make things. Um, I used oh, cool. to play musical instruments. I trying to do that again. Um, I used to be really good. I'm trying to teach my kids, you know, like especially my daughter um, how to play because she's a really creative person. Um, she's an artist, um, which sounds lame to call your 10 year old an artist, but I, I promise you, she really is like, she's so talented. Um, so I try to encourage her to, you know, do something creative because she's just a creative soul. Mm. Um, so, Wonder yeah, I mean, <laughs> well, you know, her father, my husband's a graphic designer and he was a DJ. Um, he used to write music. Um, so he knows how to play um, guitar. He knows how to play the piano. Um, so like that little girl, my son, 
He hasn't really shown any of those strong talents yet, but my daughter has always from when she was very little. So she definitely, um, whatever she does in her life, she's going to be extremely, uh, very artistic. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's cool. Um, what instruments did you say you were trying to learn? Uh, well, I mean, I can play the piano. I can read sheet music. Um, I can still play. Um, I'm not as good as I used to be. Like when I was, I actually started playing when I was five. Um, I was the only one of my siblings that actually played an instrument. Like my parents tried to get my brother to play. He wasn't any good. My sister was horrible and I was the only one that could. So my mother paid for me to be uh, trained as a pianist and I played from when I was five until I was about like 18 like I was classically trained I went to uh, lessons all the time I played in recitals I won awards like in the guilds um, I actually won awards for like writing uh, music composition so I would write I would do sight reading competition where like you'd never seen a you know piece of sheet music before you ever and they put it in front of you and you can't touch the piano. You could read it for like a few minutes and then you would have to play. And then they would mark every time you made a mistake. And I would win awards for that. I was good at reading sheet music and playing. Um, and I mean, I played for a long time and then I, I pretty much kind of stopped when my mom got sick and working all the time and you know doing all the weddings, but it's like riding a bike, you know, you're not going to be as good as you were because you haven't played in like 10 or 15 years, but I can still amazingly read it. I can still read the sheet music and remember how to play things. I'm just extremely rusty. Um, but my daughter, she likes it. She, she definitely shows, I think you have to show an interest. Like you have to really want to do it. And she, she does. That's so cool. So in closing, I always like to ask this one question for everyone that I have because everybody's answer is different. And it always, uh, it always surprises me what comes out of people's mouths when it asks them this question. So the question is, if there's a young vendor that's out there anywhere in the wedding industry, doesn't matter what they do, what's a piece of advice of somebody that's been doing it for so long like you and literally have family ties to it? Um, what what would you tell that young vendor that's out there that's trying to get their feet wet in the industry and they're trying to get moving and like what would you what would you tell them to encourage them i would have to say like it sounds really cliche or you know ridiculous to keep saying it but don't ever give up cuz i feel like there were so many things that came along that were serious roadblocks for me and i could have should have would have given up and I never did. And also like that you should really be true to yourself because even having done this as long as I have, not until very recently, I felt like in the past even couple of years, few years, I've felt where I'm now so confident in who I am and how I sell myself and how I present myself, you know, that I actually feel like I get more weddings and not just more weddings, but the kind of weddings that I want to do and the people that I want to work with, because I'm not pretending to be something that I'm not. And a lot of times when you try to be something that you're not and do things that, you know, you're probably not going to do a good job with, it's really, it's either going to make you make a mistake, which you do want to make mistakes because mistakes help you figure out how to do something better. Um, they help push you to ultimately make the right choices. So mistakes are a good thing. But, you know, sometimes mistakes can be bad for us in certain ways where you could have a nightmare client, you could promise them everything, and it could be so bad that it could literally destroy your, your passion for wanting to do this. So from the beginning, don't, if you really want to do it, no matter what happens, the negativity, the roadblocks, whatever, keep going and then find out, you know, who you really are and what you're really good at and really trying to stick to that. And I feel like once you do that for your brand, your image, whatever, because you don't have to be what everyone else is. A lot of times 
you can find out what who you are, what is your image, what is your brand, and that sets you apart from other people. And you might become even more successful because you are different from other people. Mm -hmm. I love that. There's no better way to end it. Don't ever give up. Courtney, thanks for being here. Thanks for being a part of this whole thing. Um, and thanks for giving an hour of your time to, to hang out with us. No problem. Thanks for having me. And uh, this is Courtney Peachy King. But as you'll see all the links in the description of the podcast and also on YouTube and all the things. I'm Jacob Deaton. Thanks so much for having, uh, or thanks for much for taking time to listen to us. Sometimes you just get tongue tied at the end of these things. Um, Thank you so much, and uh, we'll see everybody next time. All right? See ya.